Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben, and this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a special guest, Susan Silva from PCO Hope Partnerships. Is that correct, Susan, the way I'm saying that? PCO Hope, yes, yes. And the PCO, uh, the way I was reading somewhere here, what it stands for, the word hope, the way you have it? Help, outreach, prevention, and education. And did you start PCA Hope? PCO Hope, was this your idea? So it originally started as a coalition in East Bridgewater. It was originally EB Hope for just the town of East Bridgewater. And we joined forces with the town of Plymouth back in June of 2016. And we created a countywide effort that now encompasses all of Plymouth County, which is the new name, Plymouth County Outreach Hope. I see. And tell me about your how you got involved. So I got involved back in a around 2014, 2015, when my son was struggling with opioid addiction. And I'm a person who can't sit back and do nothing. So I actually reached out to all of the key stakeholders in the community of East Bridgewater. I wrote the same letter to all of them. And the chief of police, which was then John Cowan, um, answered my letter. And we sat around a conference table and decided that we needed to do something as a community. And we created a coalition movement in that in that town. Uh, we started with a very simple event called Don't Be Blindsided, where I shared my story of how our family was literally blindsided by um, what opioid medication that's prescribed by a doctor can do to your loved one. And from there, the coalition movement grew and became the drop-in center in East Bridgewater, which that is when we merged with the town of Plymouth because they were doing an outreach um, activity there in Plymouth with the police were going to um, people who had suffered an overdose. And we wanted to do what they were doing. They wanted to do what we were doing. So that's how we merged and became a countywide initiative. Was that the initiative where if somebody overdoses, they send an unmarked car or someone to the house to talk Correct. to them about getting into, um, how is that working? How was that working or how is no, that How working? is it working? How is it working? You know, to my knowledge, it's still happening. Um, not quite as much as it was when the Plymouth chief, which was chief Boteri and the chief in East Bridgewater, Scott Allen, were taking the lead in that. The two of them had created a really great model for that happening. They had actually made sure that all 27 towns in Plymouth County, including the Bridgewater State College, were involved in that initiative. Both those chiefs have retired. Their replacements have not um, kept up that work as much. It's still happening, but nowhere near as much as it was happening under their direction. And a number of the chiefs that were working with them in those 27 entities have also retired. So the mantle has been turned over to new chiefs. Some of them are passionate still about this work and some are, they've moved on to other things. Well, that's unfortunate because we still need it to happen. Absolutely. Um, how is it, uh, I, how is it funded? 
how do you come up with money for the brochures and for the for the facility and everything? So the police initiatives are all funded through the DOJ. They they get their own grants to do that. Um, our drop-in centers have are no longer funded. We've unfortunately there's not a lot of funding right now for addiction related situations. Most of the funding that's out there right now is for equity and inclusion. And it just doesn't fit the narrative. So the drop-in centers after COVID changed drastically. We had two um, centers that were open every week and we were seeing lots of foot traffic. And then with COVID that foot traffic stopped. So now we do once a week at our location in Plymouth and that's the only drop-in center that we do on a regular basis. We do try to visit other hotspots. We make connections. I know that Anne-Marie, my executive director and usually another recovery coach are out at some of the food pantries in the local area, trying to bring that resource information to the local people um, that visit the food pantries. And then there are some um, housing developments that we also visit so that we're bringing the information there instead of having a static location. We're trying to move to the hotspots themselves. So you're working full time and doing this after hours and on weekends? Yes, been doing that for a long time. Okay. Um, what about the money that's being awarded to the towns from the state, from the opioid um, uh, drug com- companies, you know, that, that that we sued? So I know that, like, the town of Duxbury is getting $18,000 a month. Are you going after that money from the East Bridgewater or, or other towns? We have tried to do that. We've tried to engage both the town of East Bridgewater and the town of Plymouth, and they each have their own list of things that they want to do with that money. So unfortunately, we won't see any of that. Well, that's unfortunate. You would think that what you do, you know, like a a drop-in center, can you explain what that is so I get an idea? Absolutely. So when the drop-in center was created, it was created as a resource center for families for people that were currently um, active in the addiction process and their loved ones so that we would help them find resource resources availability for treatment, for outpatient treatment, connect families to the resources that they needed, whether it was a family support group, um, other helps that they might need. And that was open on a weekly basis. People would come in. We'd connect them to the resources that were there. We'd have anywhere from 10 to 20 different vendors in the mental health and behavioral health world there so that they could meet them, learn about their what they offer at each of their entities. Um, we usually had a mental health professional on board there that could assess somebody who was actively seeking treatment so that we made sure that they went to the right type of treatment, whether they needed something for dual diagnosis or they could go to traditional treatment. We wanted to be sure that we weren't sending someone to the right, to the wrong place. I see. And do you have uh, any active fundraisers going on? We we had a fundraiser um, a few months ago. We had a um, golf fundraiser out at Granite Links, um, which was great. We tried to raise money for our scholarship um, fund. We help um, we scholarship people to go to different sober living and or other recovery after treatment facilities where 
they're coming out of treatment and they've got nowhere to go. Home still isn't an option. So they can apply for a scholarship. So those are the fundraiser type things that we do. We just had uh, raised money through the Falmouth Road Race. We had six runners that participated in the Falmouth Road Race and helped raise money for our scholarship initiative. That's good. And what's these, um, what is pizza and prevention? I see that on the website. Yeah. So pizza and prevention is um, we send a couple of recovery coaches out to the different sober houses within Plymouth County. And what they do is they go out there, they bring pizza and they talk about prevention, overdose um, prevention training. They leave them with Narcan, um, all kinds of other uh, resources. So we scholarship to sober houses. We make sure that we're visiting those sober houses. We're seeing our people that we scholarship there and we're going in there and making sure that they have the resources um, that they need for prevention. And so I, I see again on your website, you have you have a meetings or group meetings or training classes somewhere? So we've done different trainings. We just did one a couple months ago in the month of May where we um, trained for um, family resource training so that we could hold family meetings and use a specific curriculum that was um, designed by Maureen Kavanaugh. It's a 16 week um, series that goes through 16 different topics and how to not only support parents, but to help educate them in what's happening to their loved one. I see. And, you know, I I know you mentioned Narcan and for those who aren't familiar with it, can you uh, explain what it is and how it works and why why a parent who's having a problem with a loved one should have it available. Absolutely. So Narcan is a nasal spray that administered to a person who is actively in an overdose, goes through the nasal membranes and goes up into the brain where the opioids sit down on an opioid receptor, receptor in the brain. And once the Narcan is introduced, it pops that opioid off the receptor in the brain and the um, Narcan sits down on it and blocks the ability for an opioid to continue to affect the um, neurological effects of the body, which shuts down breathing, which eventually shuts down the heart. So it gives time for a first responder to come in and um, prevent an overdose. Well, very effective as long as you can get it to the to the overdose patient quick enough, right? Right. And that's something that we do out of our office. Not only do we do overdose prevention training with Narcan, we are a third um, party Narcan provider um, that we have plenty in our office that we, we give away. We absolutely give away. We give away at the food pantries. We give them away at the sober houses. When we do outreaches within Plymouth County, we give it away to people that we know are in the hotspots. So we're making sure that they have it. And I know that there's lots of family meetings out there that also give it away so that loved ones can have it at, at home. I think it's, I mean, I carry one in my purse. I carry one in my car. Um, I do something similar, but I don't put it in my purse. I don't have one of those. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, as I, um, I call it my, my, uh, my man purse. So yep, I my, hear you. My, brief, my briefcase, <laughs> you know, because yep. um you never know when somebody's going to be overdosing and you just you know, sitting in their car seems to be the time that I've seen it two or three times yep. people overdose in their car. It's like um, um, they apparently shoot up in their car and, and that's just where they are when it's, when it, when they, when they lose it, you know? Yeah. Um, 
How many members do you have in your in this organization? How big is it? So we have a really robust board. Um, we have Sarah Cloud and Amory Winchester and Justin Campbell and Ryan O'Connell, um, Mary Peckham, Jim. I forget his last name. I apologize. Um, they all come from really great backgrounds from everything from working in a hospital to working in treatment. Jim is a chaplain who works um, with people that are both um, in drug and alcohol um, health issues, as well as mental health issues. Mary Peckham works with bereaved parents. Amory is just, she's a recovery coach. She handles all of our work out there in the outreach world. We've got a really great board that works really hard to keep this initiative alive and to make sure that people find the help that they need. Yeah. I was going to say Mary Peckham has been going for a long time. I've yeah. known about her for at least five or six years now, maybe longer. Yeah, she's, she's an amazing human being who just gives out of the brokenness um, of the loss of her son. And she's, I'll tell you, she's been a gift to my heart. Um, after losing my son two years ago, she's been, I've known Mary now for probably eight or nine years um, and having to eventually join the club that no parent ever wants to join. She's been one of one of the dearest gifts to my heart in this journey. That's good. Um, since you brought it up, the, the loss of your son. I mean, last night we had the, the vigil in Brockton. From, uh, and it, it, to me, it's like, it's a, to me, it's kind of a gathering so that people can see that they're not alone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, how have you done with your grief journey over the past two years? Um, it's not easy. There are days that I do really well, and there are days that are very difficult. Um, some of those milestone days, birthdays, um, the anniversary of his death was August 9th. It was the few days leading up to that were very difficult for me. Um, this last year has been more difficult actually than the first year. Um, it's really, I was, I spoke at the Brockton vigil last year and one of the things that I really shared was that losing my son made me question whether or not I failed him in all the work that I've done all these years that if I, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing for years to get resources and recovery options and treatment changed and making sure that people have an opportunity to even get into a sober house with our scholarship program and all these avenues that I've tried to push forward and I couldn't save him. And that was, this past year has been pretty difficult um, for me to, find the strength and the courage to keep pushing forward in that, to make sure that other people still have those opportunities, that those resources stay available. And it's, as we've, you know, moved through a lot of our um, financial resources and looking for grants, it's trying to continue the work. It's been very upsetting and very frustrating that the work that I started because of what our family went through seems to be coming to an end because there's no funding out there. And it's just, it's been very aggravating and very frustrating and very painful to think that, that I, that we can't keep moving forward. Yes. In this state, we had 2000 plus deaths last year. And you would think that they would be anxious to, to help in any way possible. 
uh, considering that um, the, the state of Massachusetts had a surplus and people got refunds. You would have thought just, a, you know, a little bit goes a long way when it comes to resource centers and putting out information for people. Um, yeah, you know, we um, we put together a whole business plan of what we were doing. Um, Secretary Sutter's actually came out and was at the food pantry where we do a lot of our work in Plymouth. And she was very excited about what we were doing and said, yeah, send me a proposal. And we sent a proposal and we heard nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, we've received earmark funds for the last five years from the state of Massachusetts. And it's moved from $30,000 a year down to we're being promised 10 for the next state fiscal year. So even that funding has been cut and cut and cut. So it just feels like this topic is now in the background and it's not as important as the new topics that are out there. And the unfortunate thing is that 2000 number is just going to increase when the funding gets cut and there's no money to continue the type of work that we've been doing and other entities have been doing. You have to go after private donors and everyone is going after the same pockets, right? Especially here in Massachusetts, yeah. there's only so many private donors out there. Um, so it's scary. It's really scary about the future of treatment and recovery and outreach work. And if you're not willing to do it and not have some sort of financial ability to pay the people to do it, it's, this is going to get scary. I only see it getting worse. Well, I agree with you. I'm sorry to say, especially when you throw fentanyl into the mix. Mm -hmm. and it seems like we have a, the one thing I, I don't understand in this state is the state's gotten lots of money why they haven't put any advertisements out there is talking about the dangers of fentanyl. You know, we, we used to have these cigarette commercials talking about lung cancer and everything. And, and, um, and that was important and it made a big difference. And now here we are with, with the fentanyl story that is, it's one time can kill. You don't have to wait exactly. 40, 40 years to get lung cancer. You can die to, die on the first go around, and we and we don't have any of that. That we don't have any media outrage. I mean, last night I was watching on the news uh, two two Nile, whatever you call them, uh, Nile virus mosquitoes headline story. Two mosquitoes, you know. Correct. Yeah. And, and at the same time, probably five people died last night in the state of Massachusetts from an overdose. You if know, not the, more. Yeah. So, so it's, um, it, it seems like it's ass backwards. You know, we, we focus on stuff that really isn't all that important in comparison, if you're doing that type of comparison. Right. And I, you know, I had a friend who had West Nile virus and I will tell you the interesting thing is after the effects of what he survived West Nile virus and after the effects that West Nile virus had on him, he turned to drugs because of the neurological effects of West Nile virus, and he became addicted to opioids, and he has suffered. Um, so it's interesting, you know, we've got things something like West Nile, but West Nile and its effects led to someone who ended up depressed because of the neurological effects of West Nile virus, and then ended up turning to drugs to solve the depression, etc. And he became addicted to drugs. And um, yeah, there's so many. I mean, my son. My son sought out cocaine and the cocaine was laced with fentanyl and it killed him. 
we're not we're not sending out the right messages there you've got so many people saying oh no 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 there's no fentanyl in cocaine no there's no fentanyl in marijuana actually yes there is and people are dying from it and if we're not getting the word out and there's no money for a marketing campaign like that we don't have money for a marketing campaign like that they're not putting money out for a marketing campaign like that people are going to continue to die well as i said the the money that's coming into the state from the from the johnson and johnson and cardinal health and uh, some of the drugstore chains that from from the lawsuits, there should be plenty of money for that. They just need to just need to put that as the front burner instead of instead of trying to find other great things that really don't affect the the opioid epidemic. You know, and that I know that some of the towns, the some of the towns are looking to add um, like a mental health professional to the police departments and or the schools to help in the prevention end and or the outreach end. And I do agree that that's a great, a great ad, that 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 kind of stuff should be happening. The unfortunate thing is there's lots of coalitions and or nonprofits that serve Plymouth County, that serve Massachusetts, that are out there doing this hard work and there's no funding and the towns won't even listen. The towns are like, "Mm, thanks for coming forward, but we're not even going to include you because we've got our own ideas. Um, and that's a shame because we're the champions that have been out here for 10, 15 years, pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. Never mind the people that have been behind the scenes with the whole push to get like Purdue Pharma and Johnson and Johnson and all the other big names out there to actually put the bill for this. They're not even seeing money from this there. It's going directly to the towns and the towns are saying, well, we're just going to beef up our police departments or we're going to beef up our schools um prevention 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 the unfortunate thing is with all the prevention dollars that have been out there for the last 10 years we've had record numbers of overdose deaths prevention dollars are great we need to start somewhere right but there needs to be more money out there for outreach and recovery options and for people to be able to if you think about the fact that you've got a person who's been in and out of treatment several times families have probably disengaged they're absolutely broke their only way to keep going is to get into a sober house or a recovery community they are pocket they have nothing they don't have clothes they don't have food they don't have money and a lot of these sober houses some of them are great some of them aren't they're charging anywhere from 200 to 250 dollars a week and they're getting nothing. They don't get food. They don't get clothes. Many of them don't even get utensils or something to eat off of had, if they had food. And there's nothing out there to help people make it to the next step. We've been trying to do that. Last year alone, we put out $85,000 in scholarships to help people make it to the next step. We follow up with them after 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. We're in those sober houses, like I said earlier, making those connections, making sure that the sober houses themselves have Narcan, that they're trained. If there's an overdose death, which there are overdose deaths inside of sober houses, we're making sure that they're prepared and ready, that the people that are living there are prepared to help maybe their roommate, et cetera. But there's no money. There's no money to do that. And there's no money from our state to help people make it to the next step. And if you're lucky that you get offered after your 10 day stay in a in a detox, if it's 10 days, you're lucky if your insurance company and or the state will fund you to go to the next step so that you're somewhere for a whole 30 days. 
Never mind, make it past that. Yes, the kids would say 10 days is a spin dry. Right. And they wonder why there's so many, they wonder why there's so many people living on mass and cast. There you go. Yeah. That's why there's so many people living on mass and cast because there's nothing for them after a detox. Well, so tell us how we make a donation. So you can visit our website, www.pcohope.net, and you can find us there. And there's a donation page there. Or you can send a check to PCO Hope, Post Office Box 401, East Bridgewater, Mass, 02333. And folks, it's very simple. I'm on the website right now, and it's you just click on it, make a donation, put in the amount, and your credit card or PayPal, you'll just fill in the numbers, and you're good to go. It's that Absolutely. easy. Yep. So, um, Susan and the um, PC, PCO uh, hope people really need the money. You just heard her story. She's um, taking her lunch hour with us today. So we appreciate getting her on. And um, I want to thank you. I don't want to go too much longer because I know you got to get back to work. <clears throat> the last thank thing I want to do is have you lose your job. You know? <sighs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this is uncle Tony and this is, um, Courage to hope, and you can see that Susan has a lot of courage, and she's given a lot of hope to people. And we thank you very much for your being on today with us. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for getting the word out that organizations like like ours still need help. We still need funding to keep things going, so that more people can continue to get the help that they need. Thank you. Are you mourning the loss of a loved one due to substance use? SADOD.org support after a death by overdose, is hosting its annual Finding Connections in Grief Conference, Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd, at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Join people who are bereaved as they come together to find courage, hope, healing, and community. The Finding Connections in Grief Conference, Friday, October 20th through Sunday, October 22nd, at the Sheraton Framingham Hotel and Conference Center. Reserve your spot right now. SADOD.org. That's SADOD.org.